welcome for tuning in to Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. And this is Dre. I'm really excited to go on this journey with you today. So today we wanted to focus on um, allyships and partnerships. And before jumping into it, I wanted to do the employee of the day. And it's going to be a bit different today than usual because it's not about one person. And we're going to highlight kind of um, a pair of people who one person is a person of color and one's an ally. And it's a little untraditional for our format, but we're going to highlight Honey Davenport and DJ Mitch Farino. So if you don't know who these two wonderful humans are, Honey Davenport is a drag star, performs all over the country, especially in New York City. Um, She's well known. She can work. And... DJ Mitch Farino is a white man who um, is a DJ, also in New York City, in the queer space. So there was a little scandal that came out about Monster Bar, if most people are not familiar. I'm not going to say the name of the um, individual who also identifies as a person of color, but kind of lives in the sunken place right now. But I'm not going to say what he did. Well, I'll say what he did. I won't say his name because I don't want to glorify people who don't deserve to be famous on this podcast but what kind of happened is that um monster bar had there was an advertisement and honey was on the advertisement and mitch um was working with that sunken place individual and um there was the flyer i even saw the flyer the flyer had um two people of color men who identified as men um with their shirts off and honey and a white woman performing drag and well a a white drag star um so the individual said that they did not want to promote this photo because they thought that it would promote a black night and that would be bad for business and this is in new york city in 2018 very sad very very disgusting so it's very disheartening and essentially um he brought this up to you know, he brought this up to the manager and then he also shared because he has a part, he has an actual relationship with Honey who was going to be performing. He shared this information in the text messages to Honey and Honey was appalled and there was no apology sent to Honey at all or any of the people offended. And Honey was supposed to perform and Honey came up and said, I will not be performing because they do not want my people here. So I will not be here and left applauded like a queen. And Essentially, um, Mitch got a lot of fire from Monster Bar and that individual. And they, I believe they removed that individual, but um, they're still trying to take action against Mitch, which is so inappropriate and so distasteful. So we want to applaud Honey One for speaking up on behalf of our community and not taking crumbs like many times that we have to. And for Mitch for being an ally and speaking up and sharing that, and he didn't have to. He doesn't win anything in the stake for going the status quo or supporting a system that would support him and not support Honey. So thank you both for your partnership and continue on. And I hope that you receive work and abundance in other spaces that will celebrate you both. So yeah, um, so talking about partnerships... (laughs) Um, what I believe on, um, and this is not an ideology that some people may share, but I believe in systems 
to overtake them, you need to empower the voice of the oppressed and get the influence of those who are supported in power. So, for instance, I do not believe that you can destroy racism without the support of people of color and white people. You need the voice of people of color leveraged up while white people have to let go of racism because it's a structure and a system that's a, that benefits them and they have to let it go for it to work because even if people of color speak up, if white people don't give it up, it doesn't do anything. Same thing for giving, you know, sexism. If men don't let go of sexism, women can speak up as much as they want, but men have to work with women to let it go. But it means that the person that is oppressed their voice should be leveraged because it's their experience that needs to be voiced the most. So I believe any system to be overtaken needs that kind of recipe. And that's why we want to do partnerships. So I um, have two lovely humans from across front lines with me today. Um, one person of color and one um, Caucasian person. And I don't, we don't really have white people here in the studio. In the, well, we have people, white people in the studio, just not on this podcast. Um, this is the podcast that leveraged the voices of people of color. But I thought that it was fitting to bring them both in to show what a healthy partnership and, and, a, and how to make real change, real movement, and have real results. Um, so I will allow them to introduce themselves. Hey, Dre. Hey, all. My name is Kalyan Mendoza. I am a queer, disabled Filipino that um, I immigrated to the States many, many years ago, and I am one of the partners at Across Front Lines. Hey, everyone. My name is Adam Ray Cross. Um, I hail from Virginia and have been a New York resident for about six years. I am also one of the partners at Across Front Lines. Well, we're so excited to have you both, Kalyan and Adam. Thank you for your time, and we're really excited to go on this journey with you. I think the listeners want to know a lot about you guys. <laughs> so can you guys explain a bit, um, what is Across Front Lines? What is this partnership you've created? Like, what, Tell the public, because really, a lot of people might not know. And how, what, when were you formed? What do you do? What's up with that? So, hey, this is Adam. Um, what we do at Across Front Lines is we share our lived experiences and the experiences of the communities that we work with because the wisdom, the, the work that has gone in over decades and even centuries, it changes the way organizations think and in our work and how we elevate that what we have witnessed is a unbelievable sort of uh, rectification of helping communities develop skill sets that are based around safety and security, but also helping organizations move into spaces that recognize the dignity of the organizations that they partner with. Essentially, as an organization, well, I'll just use I statements because <laughs> that's what we do as... <laughs> Uh, facilitators. Um, I grew up here in the States watching um, well-intentioned white people say that with 37 cents a day, they could save people in my country. And I knew in my country that in the Philippines, we had the power, we had the, we had the people power, we had the deep knowledge and wisdom around resistance to be able to have the agency to change things in the way that we needed to change them. And I really 
have been imbued with that understanding that when we listen to folks in the global north, when we listen to marginalized communities who face this on the daily, when we listen to frontline communities, then we can change what is happening. We can uh, really address systemic issues because folks on the front lines are the ones that understand it in a very real way. Um, And both of us come from a um, global north uh, nonprofit background, and we've seen working with grassroots communities in the global south how innovative and effective they are in spite of the fact that they have such little access to resources. So we wanted to take those learnings and those lessons back to the global north and really disrupt the kind of um, Western supremacist uh, way of thinking and shift it to see that there is deep wisdom in the global south, that folks who are doing the work on the front lines are the ones that should be leading the work, that should be showing what the strategy is and not necessarily the, um, uh, you know, the the pretty face on the uh, brochure, but they should be the brains behind the operation. So that's kind of like what we were trying to bring into there. We believe that you cannot be your full self unless you feel safe and secure in your environment. And that is a fundamental approach that we take. And what we want to do is share strategies for how you navigate those environments so that you can live out your full self. And from our work and background working with frontline communities, that has been pivotal for their success. And we think that organizations really need to heed that wisdom. So definitely a spin away from kind of like the um, savior complex that really plagues a ton of um, public service organizations. Um, And, you know, we all know as when we've all worked together. um, So, you know, I don't think the listeners know I've, worked with Kalyan briefly and Adam was there like what like a, he left a week or a few days before I started but I knew him to my previous job at a wonderful LGBT organization that I used to work for and we got in touch because he was supportive of the organization um but yeah uh, and I know we're all and we've all been from the nonprofit space but what I I don't exactly know I think and listeners want to know too is like kind of how did this partnership friendship all this kind of start from all y'all like what's that well we'll start we'll start with yeah kalyan let's hear your perspective how did y'all meet or how did this work so i think back was it 2016 um 2015 um i had this i was sitting in my cubicle and um this pretty white boy with a nice jawline was behind me. I was like, oh, who is this twink? What do I need to, what what kind of magic barriers do I need to create to protect myself from this nonsense? Um, and as the days progressed, I was like, oh, okay, he's not evil, which I have kind of, um, as an Asian Pacific Islander American here in this country, have grown to distrust uh, white men. Um, I got to see that he he was open to critique, that he was actually about the work. Um, so my defenses started coming down. And um, I think the first time that I really connected with Adam was in Selma during the 50th anniversary. 
Um, and I remember we had gone down um, and supported uh, young black activists to inhabit that space. And I remember we were both decentralizing ourselves as much as possible from that space as non-black folks, especially as a non-black person of color. I wanted to be the one that was like, I'm going to carry the water. Adam was like quite literally holding up an umbrella, shielding folks from the heat and the sun. Um, and I was like, okay, I think this person understands what the work needs to look like. And yeah. So yeah, so Adam, how are you invited to the cookout? <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell the folks how that happened? <laughs> well, like Kalyan said, it, it for sure was not a... Um, it wasn't like, hey, Adam, what's up? Come join the party. Um, it was it was through a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, and a constant commitment and devotion that I strove to demonstrate, you know, um, not from a perspective of, like, I got to prove myself, you know, in this context. It was coming from a place of just love and compassion and a belief in something that um, that has guided everything I've ever done. You know, growing up the way I did, living a queer experience and developing my own personal strategies around keeping my body safe, keeping my emotional health safe because of the toxic masculinity that surrounded me and within my family, within my friends. And, you know, Kalyan and I, certainly bonded over our lived experiences in that regard and and I think from there grew to really respect each other's work in in really different ways and I've learned so much and continue to learn so much from Kalyan and his experiences yeah I think there's definitely a a, a, of two minds and of many minds and how we approach things and you know, we we see in each other both privileged and oppressed identities and how that has shaped uh, the nuances for how we work with different communities. I was just saying, get close to the mic, don't worry. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, but I think your sound was good. You're not, you're not a, um, a super quiet person, so it's helpful. <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. So what was the moment? You know, like Oprah likes to call it aha, aha moments. What was that moment when you were like, I am your friend and I really vibe with you and I want to go in business with you? Like, that's that's a big leap to take. Like, you literally were like, I want my finances, well, my financial income to be attached to you. Like, that's a lot. So, like, what was that aha moment? Because, you know, what, what, what was that dis- defining factor? Yeah, I'll start because my immigrant ass is always looking out for um, <laughs> my financial well-being. Um, so, one, it was um, Adam and I had like traveled. Um, we've been traveling um, or different parts of Southeast Asia uh, a couple years ago, and we were on the rooftop um, uh, of uh, this pool in Cambodia, and it was like the end of Songkran, which is like the um, New Year's in Southeast Asia, and there were these drunk British bros that wanted to start stuff, uh, basically wanted to throw down, and I was like, I really don't want to have to get into this. I don't know what jail is going to look like in Cambodia, and Adam got straight up in between me and them. It was in that moment that we talk about allyship, we talk about accomplices. It's when folks are able to say, I'm going to put my 
my well-being and like my physicality on the line to protect. I was like, okay, I will work with this fool because he actually put himself on the line and like um, jumped in right there. And we've been part of different um, tactical safety and security units uh, working with uh, organizations to protect their members and to protect um, uh, delegations that are observing certain situations, whether it's from the Democratic, um, uh, the DNC, the Republican National Convention, Democratic National Convention, or at Standing Rock. And um, Adam and I both saw um, the importance of safety and security in those spaces. So uh, I think it was in there where we were both able to kind of collaborate and to know almost uh, with this psychic like synchronicity like we need to make sure that um, these folks are taken care of that they have enough water that they're safe like if the police start you know using crowd dispersal techniques what do we do then um i think that there was a understanding and a prioritization of safety um, especially working with uh marginalized communities um and it just really felt right it felt like the work that i've always done and i haven't really met other folks um, who prioritized that until I really met Adam. Oh, snap. Okay. So you have a little more than ally. You have a ride or die. I did not know. This makes a lot more sense. You jumped up in front of other white people. Him. Okay. I respect that. I respect that hard. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, so what was your defining moment, Adam, when you were like, I want to go into business with Kalyan? In my experiences, professionally, you know, strictly professionally, I didn't see that our approach to safety and security is not just about a physical like barrier between what you do and pepper like if you're pepper sprayed or how do you get out of a you know a police brigade that you know the cops are covered in SWAT armor and they're charging at you and defining strategic ed- exit routes that's not what we mean by safety and security we also mean it by about community sustainability we mean it about like how do we see ourselves in this world and and i, I have um i have learned so much from kalyan in navigating those spaces and equipping and bringing you know strategic and tactical knowledge from my background and then looking at the spaces that we've worked in and figuring out ways that responsibly build and grow and lead to a world that is better than the one we were born into. Hmm. Okay. So you did mention, I like how you mentioned that comfort is a privilege and I want to kind of um, move towards that a bit and ask around. So for instance, when you move into different spaces, you being a person of color, Kalyan, um, Filipino and you being a white person and both being queer your um how you're received and your comfort level changes in your environments in what ways and i'll start with kalyan in what ways would you say that your um you being filipino you being you coming from a, a person of color experience how has that um contributed or um been input into your partnership like what has what has that brought like what are certain times you're like okay i have to bring my i have to walk in and be filipino in this room right now and like do that like what has that how has that shaped that yeah i mean that's pretty much every single day like my 
Filipinoness and queerness and everything is interwoven. Um, and the way it's kind of looked like in our um, in our partnership is I inhabit spaces of privilege and spaces of oppression, right? Um, as a cis man, I inhabit um, I inhabit that privilege, and as a you know queer Filipino with a disability, I have uh, those oppressed identities. I think the um, way that it's kind of like shown up in our partnership is through an understanding that we inhabit these spaces simultaneously. Um, and when we go in, when we are invited into spaces by communities, um, whether it's indigenous communities in Borneo or LGBT communities in uh, Hanoi, Vietnam, then it means that we come into that space with a place of, uh, from a place of humility. And as a Filipino, I'm always taught that you always bring something whenever you're invited somewhere. Um, and I think that's what we try to do. And with the cross front lines, it's we are either bringing our um, uh, our offerings of trainings, consultations, or the skills that we have, or just straight up, you know, um, food. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah. And then the same to you, Adam. What do you bring with your Virginia blood <laughs> um, to this partnership? Um, yeah, I think. Um, I don't think I know. Um, it has. What are you gonna say? <laughs> For me, it has been a an experience of when I first recognized what needed to happen. Growing up where I did, um, being who I am, my response was messy. It was not sophisticated to keep it short. And as I grew and learned and educated myself and and reached out and experienced, um, you know, different spaces in my own way, coming from, you know, uh, my own perspective, I it was a slow learning process. And it was one that, you know, it, it, sometimes I was invited into, sometimes I wasn't. Um, for the most part, was was invited into, but I think really what this partnership means and like how it is reiterated is that I'm not afraid to get knocked down and dust myself off and know exactly or at least have an idea of what needs to happen afterward. And it's, I think for a lot of white people, it is what happens is that they feel anxiety or they feel like they're dignity or ego or whatever gets knocked down and then they're afraid or they feel vulnerable but like I'm not afraid of that I'm not afraid of it. it's that's necessary like that's a part of this it's not about us I mean it's about us collectively but it's not about us individually and trust me Kellyanne and I have had many discussions about this we continue to it's a part of like why it works because that's that's part of our agreement with each other you know we we rely on each other well i can't speak i will say i'll use i statements i rely on him for that and being open to that so i mean i rely on adam to be able to kind of process and quite frankly like like real talk i have unleashed 
the rage of my ancestors upon him many a times. <laughs> and Filipinos are known for um, killing our colonizers and cutting their hearts out and eating it. Um, yeah, y'all like y'all like Haiti about in Asia. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, I see you, Magellan. We see you. Um, but uh, I think that in our understanding and in our shared uh, trust with one another, we're able to process that. For me, it's been extremely, quite frankly, healing to be able to find a white person who I can both process with and sometimes my trauma arises, but also think about the world that we're trying to build together because we are in a garbage fire of a universe right now where people are fearful of their very existence. So to have a partner that I can talk through and say, what do we need to do to contribute to make this world just a little better than when we came into it? It feels healing. It feels like something that I need to do, not just in the work, but also for myself. So that's how I feel like our dynamic has shown up in these spaces. And then I think you mentioned a bit about how the experience has been healing for you. Um, can you kind of elaborate more on what your partnership, friendship, and relationship with um, Adam has, how that has impacted other relationships outside of your life, your work, or other things outside of what you do? Has Can you like, yeah, talk about that a bit? Yeah. Um, if My friends from college know me as uh, being the one that has always called white people the devil. Um, and have been very clear about um, uh, the evils of white supremacy. And quite frankly, for a, the longest time, I sat with that, um, with that pain and that fear. Also being a queer person in the, um, uh, in the United States, a queer API, queer person of color, um, in the gay world, I'm going to say the gay world um, very intentionally, um, we are... Um, there's a lot of sexual racism. There's all, all of these like layers, right? And to be able to find someone who, I, who reflects the, um, what I would consider the oppressor to be able to, um, to process with and to um, say, hey, I hear you. Um, let's talk through that. has been very helpful for me to be like, you know, um, uh, not to write off an entire... Uh, group of humans um and the older i have gotten because i am very old now you don't he don't look it what he's filipino he's asian you know they don't age <laughs> asian don't raise it um <laughs> one thing i've learned is we are all in this together and um as my younger self would have been like you know we'll we'll just get through this ourselves we don't need um other you know we don't need white folks we don't need cis folks the reality is we are on this world together and the only way we can find a solution is together, I feel. And when it means that those who are from the privileged group start to un, um, start to understand where marginalized communities are coming from, but also start to give up their privilege, you know, that's when things start changing. And I liked what you were saying earlier, Dre, about, you know, bringing everyone into the space because we have a shared responsibility. And that's what I feel with Adam is that there's a very intimate understanding of that shared responsibility. Um, and I mean, like we're 
we are all on stolen native land. We are benefiting from the oppression of native folks, the um, subjugation and the enslavement of black folks. Once we all start understanding and accepting that and figuring out how do we dismantle that, which is, I feel like, what we have been doing um, in our work, in, in what little ways we have been able to, um, then that's where I feel the healing is happening. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Adam, so how has having a little bit Kalyan in your life changed um, the other relationships in your life or um, other things outside of your partnership? So, you know, it's come up a few times around patience and undeserved patience, and I realize that and recognize that and, and try to communicate that with learning is not a linear progression. It does not happen the same for everybody. We experience it differently. And, you know, when we think about what diversity means when we talk about it in our work, what we talk, when we talk about our values of equity, solidarity, safety, and security, like we try to interrogate those in, in ways that, you know, live beyond our experiences and so that we can anticipate or learn and, and set ourselves up on a, um, I don't know, a path to, to something better. And I know that's all abstract, but what it comes down to and what I really want to say is that I have become a different person because of Kali. My outlook is different. My, I've been with my romantic partner for going on nine years. and he, I know, right? <laughs> Almost oh a decade. <laughs> Holy. Oh, I can't cuss on here. Um, yes, you can. You can, say, you can say all types of shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, <laughs> and my partner is, is, a, is a person of color, and, um, and, you know, we have our own things to navigate together and have over the, over the years. But it has been a beautifully challenging and enriching experience. And, um, you know, I mention it just because, like, being a gay man and having deep friendships and deep working relationships with other gay men, other queer men, is, is a challenge in this world and in, in this time. But we upend that in ways that that decentralize this masculine, unemotional approach to our work. We we center how we're feeling. We we bring in rituals when before our meetings, before our strategic meetings to talk about what we're gonna do for the next six months. We bring our emotion into it. And like I have never been allowed that space or at least like that space has never been offered especially from another cis man and shit i don't know that's beautiful <laughs> no thank you no i i feel really humbled across this table with you both um because i knew y'all but i know no y'all like that but i i really respected each of you individually and 
this was a this was a very very um wonderful breathtaking moment to see this type of partnership and i hope that more people will be able to take this with them and be able to replicate it and apply it to their everyday lives and know that like you said we're on the planet together we're not our issues are not alone but we have to communicate first to get to someplace better and giving each other room to grow and make mistakes, but also to put our boundaries down and say, this is what I'm not going to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is what we need to do to get here. And are you going to do it with me? So I have one bonus question. I know y'all weren't ready for this. But, I, you know, I'm a little mushy-gushy right now, so I wanted to end um, on a really, really high note. Um, so I wanted to start... So, um... Kalyan, can you name one thing on the top of the thing that t- comes to the top of your head that you appreciate about Adam? There's so much. Actually, I, I'm gonna put Adam on spot first. You know, actually, we're gonna do pri- we're gonna we gonna do reverse privilege. He's a white person. <laughs> you, yeah. What's the first? What's the thing? What's the one thing that comes to top of mind that you really appreciate about Kalyan? Well. That's hard. <laughs> the thing that comes to top of mind, not the best yep. thing, but the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing that comes to mind first is I have seen, I have seen Kalyan go for five days straight, probably longer, more like two weeks straight, at a hundred percent, and that's that's something that like. Day seven, I was, like, straggling. And even then, even after that, he offered his shoulder for me to lean on. And I I knew how... I knew how shit, like, just touched I was. And, and I, I just, like, couldn't believe it, you know? Take everything else we've shared that on this podcast into into the frame... And, like, even then, he's, like, willing to do that. And it's, like, you're a better person than I am. I don't know where it comes from. He did say he was getting old. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. The respect is endless. So how about you? You had a little more time now. Yeah. Reparations. I, think- <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, your people colonized mine. Um I think the thing that I have appreciated the most is that Adam is disrupting a legacy of white supremacy in both personal ways and in ways that are trying to affect the systemic. Um, The way I see it, I mean, like it's in the we talk about microaggressions and macroaggressions. Right. But there are um, micro uh, I, I think it's micro equities and macro equities and ways that folks are disrupting that, uh, whether that means that when Adam is invited to a space primarily of folks of color, I see him bring himself and listen, bring himself in and listen when um, folks are there. I, I have never experienced him being like, let me tell you about your culture, which I've um, experienced a lot with other um, white folks but also a a deep commitment to trying to make things right 
trying to make things just, trying to make things equitable, because we do live in a world where things are so absolutely horrid right now that everyone needs to find a way that they can contribute to making things better for one another and for the next generation and the seven generations that come after. Um, I saw that, you know, I, one example of this was uh, when we were in Standing Rock. I'm a, I recognize that I'm a settler colonial on native land and we're, we're both, you know, um, we're both of that. And the fact that um, Adam was willing and able to listen to the Lakota elders in that, hey, I need you to get this. I need you to go over there, bring some wood over. Or, you know, that openness, I think, is an example of how all of us who are allies to marginalized communities need to act. We need to listen and we need to do. When they point, we follow. When they ask, we say yes. Because... Um, we have the ability to start healing what pain there is. And I feel like that's what I have appreciated and have um, quite frankly needed in my life. And that's why I not only consider Adam a friend, but um, a partner in this work, in movement work. And I've said this many times, I, I am married to the movement. So why would I bring someone in there into that space that doesn't... Um, strengthen that so thank you i really y'all gave me a good ass episode (laughs) i really appreciate this um um, yeah i think um this is a great place to conclude but before we do folks you know you can find comp day at at comp day you know at comp day on instagram it's literally spelled at comp day you can find it it's not hard um but where can we find across front lines out in the world? So you can see examples of our work, everything from um, one-day activist improv trainings with youth of color to full-on uh, week-long activist camps with uh, young act- you know, activists in the global south on acrossfrontlines.com or at our uh, Instagram, Across Front Lines. I just want to add, we also partner with organizations to look at some of how their programs, campaigns, and internal work and relationships, how they can infuse equity, solidarity, safety, and security into those strategies, into those approaches to both, you know, working across teams, but then also working with partners on the ground, um, in particular, you know, if you have staff scattered all over the world, what does that look like? And how do we reflect back um, what's going on there versus a headquarter mentality? And and that's also something that we have done and are interested in doing. If you go to acrossfrontlines.com slash blog, you can see some of our travel um, uh, blogs where we did a listening tour of Southeast Asia earlier this year, uh, working with different marginalized communities in Borneo, Vietnam, um, and all over Southeast Asia. Um, and what we're really trying to do is to be facilitators of that knowledge and to bring it to the global north and be part of the, um, the exchange and sharing of that deep knowledge and wisdom. So you've heard it straight from the mouths of the 
founders and creators and partners of Across Front Lines. So, yeah, definitely check them out. Definitely get them their coin and make sure if you want them, fly them out. But um, (laughs) thank you guys for tuning in. And um, thank you both, Kalyan and Adam, for joining us today. Have a great day, everybody. We're going to clock out. Peace. Bye. Thank you so much, Dre. Thanks. (laughs)